Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Whatever this is, God, God is, this is the God moment. I often say to you guys, if you're visiting with us, I would like you to have a God moment with us today. This is a God moment. And Jesus stops and looks up out of all the people in Jericho he could talk to. He says, Zacchaeus, yeah, make haste and come down today. I will stay at your house. Out of all of the people, he's going to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Our God is a God of mercy and goodness, so much so that he loves us even when we're at our worst. Today on Practical Christian Living, we're in our series, Jesus Appointments, and we're looking at a moment of goodness shared between Jesus and a wee little man who was a tax collector, unliked and not popular, but loved by Jesus. Here's part two of Luke 19, one through 10 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. I'm driving and I'm just mad and I'm feeling convicted because I'm gonna get up and preach and I'm yelling at my wife. You know, we're, we have a screaming match, all out screaming match. And um, I get a call and it's from Roger Barrier. Roger Barrier at that time was the pastor of Cassis Adobe's church. I was at this time like 26 years old. He was a few, I think a decade older than me. I think he was about 35, 36, but he'd been here for a while, had a successful church going. And he had say, he saw me being so young. I think he looked at me when he first met me and thought, gosh, this guy needs help. Look at him. And so he kind of took me under his wing and he had a lunch with me about once a month, sometimes every other week. But he called me up, he said, hey, Robert, listen, we've got, um, we're getting new chairs in the church. Would you like our pews? And I was like, no, God, not now. Don't bless me now. Wait until I do something good, then bless me. Then I can take credit for it. But after I had this horrible fight with my wife, you're gonna bless me now? But see, it even made me want to repent and change more. It made me, it made me go, God, you're so good. I gotta get this out of my life. I can't, I can't keep fighting with my wife like this and keep doing what I'm doing because God was so good. And here's what I think. I think that if I started going around the room that my story reminded you of some time that God was really good to you when, when you didn't deserve it. And that's the whole story of Zacchaeus. It's a guy that doesn't deserve it. It's a guy that Jesus points out. Look at it in, in verse one of chapter 19. It's the goodness of God and, and, and then repentance that comes from it. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. The first thing we learn is he lives in Jericho. Jericho in their day was a very wealthy city. It was a city that was perfect climate. It was beautiful. It was known as being a rich city. He was a chief tax collector, which means that he was a traitor. He couldn't enter into the synagogue. He was ostracized from the Jewish communities. We know that again because of writings in their day on, on tax collectors. He's a chief tax collector. And then we learn something else. He sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Now, we just learned that if you want to see who Jesus is, you're being drawn by God. So behind the scenes, God's drawing this man to see him. We also learn he's of short stature. How short was he? I know how short he was compared to people on the felt things that I saw when I was a kid in Sunday school. The average person in their day was five feet tall. 
Doesn't mean there weren't people taller. Doesn't mean there weren't people shorter. They were five feet tall. My wife asked me last night, how do you know how tall they were, the average person was? The answer is, they have their bodies, their bones. They put them back together again, and they, the average person was about five, male. The average man was about five feet tall in those days. So how tall was he? How short was Zacchaeus? Three and a half feet, maybe? You go, no, not that short. I think the smallest person in the Guinness Book of World Records is 18 inches. Lady, a little, a little lady. And they've got her next to the tallest man, I think it was 9'2". They're standing next to each other. Zacchaeus maybe, okay, let's just say four feet. Even so, when this story was being told in Sunday school, he's shorter than most of the kids that are in there. Most of the kids that are in there are taller than Zacchaeus was. But this has, has something has happened inside of him and he's become successful. See, his whole identity could be wrapped up in the fact that he wasn't very tall. He'd been made fun of, no doubt. His whole identity could have been wrapped up in that. But he became rich. His identity was in being rich. His identity was being in charge. He was the chief tax collector. He had become somebody, even though he was short in stature. So it says, so he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. He just wanted to get up and see Jesus walk by, that's all. This is near the end of Jesus' ministry. There's a lot of accounts, stories have been told about him. He just wants to get up in a tree and see him go by. As, um, but verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him. <laughs> what a great thing. He looks up, he look, there's, there's a little, little bitty guy up in that tree. <laughs> he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus. Now, how, how did he know his name? Had somebody told him, there's this tax collector. You got to see this guy. He's really short. He's really rich. You got, Zacchaeus is his name, Maybe. Maybe this was supernatural. He knew the woman at the well had five husbands and she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. He knew what was going on in people's hearts. Whatever this is, this is the God moment. I often say to you guys, if you're visiting with us, I would like you to have a God moment with us today. This is a God moment. When Jesus stops and looks up out of all the people in Jericho he could talk to, he says, Zacchaeus, yeah? Make haste and come down today. I will stay at your house. Out of all of the people, he's going to stay at Zacchaeus' house. All these crowds have come to see Jesus, and Jesus stops and says, I want to go to your home. As I, this is a moment of goodness towards a man who probably doesn't deserve it. He has cheated people out of their money, and it's a moment of goodness towards him. Out of all of the people that would be worthy of having the Messiah come and stay at their place, it's probably not Zacchaeus. It says then, so he made haste, verse 6, and came down and received him joyfully. Now, I've, I've discovered something when it comes to teachings on like this passage. This passage is so familiar that sometimes pastors take liberties and try to come up with something new. They want to have a moment where they say, I want to show you something no one else has ever found in the whole world but me. And so one guy says, well, the joyful person here is Jesus. Jesus receives him joyfully. He comes down from the tree. It's not Zacchaeus that's happy. It's Jesus who's happy. I have no doubt that Jesus was happy because when someone receives you joyfully, you can't not smile. Am I right? Jesus would say to Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. And Zacchaeus came down. He's like, come to my house. This is awesome. Jesus was smiling. His disciples were smiling. They probably followed him laughing because this little guy is so excited about it. But the subject of the sentence is Zacchaeus. And just understanding writing, you don't change the subject in the middle of a sentence. He would have to redefine Jesus if Jesus was the joyful one. 
he would have to say, and, and he came down from the tree, Zacchaeus, and then Jesus was happy. You have to assume, this is just general writing. When you write about a subject, if you're going to change the subject, you've got you to change it somewhere in the sentence. He doesn't. The joyful person is Zacchaeus. God's been good to him, and he's full of joy. And I'm sure that was joyful. It says, but when they saw, and this is they, the people who are watching, and when they saw it, they complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest at the man who is a sinner. He'd already gone there. He went to, into Zacchaeus' house, and they were, whatever they were doing, eating dinner, having a good time, laughing, and all the joy. The people of the city said, out of all the people, a little jealousy there. He goes to a sinner's house? He goes to eat with a sinner? Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Now, here's another area that I heard another preacher say, you know, I've got information no one else has ever had before. He says Zacchaeus wasn't repenting here. Zacchaeus was justifying himself. That the people outside said, why would he go to this guy's house? The guy's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said, Jesus, look, I give half my money to the poor. And if I've taken from anybody, I restore it fourfold. So he was justifying his position. Again, it doesn't fit the text. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Does salvation come to a house when someone justifies their behavior? Had Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, I, I already do these great things, Lord. And Jesus is like, wow, I'm impressed. Salvation has come to this house today. This guy gives half his money to the poor. No, he's saying he's, he's repented. He, when the goodness of God came, he changed his mind. And he says, I'm no longer going to live for ripping people off. And I'm going to take all of my money and I'm going to give half of it away to the poor, which is incredibly significant. He's a wealthy man. The rich young ruler wouldn't sell everything and follow Jesus. And he's going to give half of it to the poor now. And he says, and if, and by the way, if he's trying to justify himself, and if I've defrauded anybody by lying to him, See, if, if he's just, that's not justification. He's saying, when I've taken advantage of people, then I'm going to restore fourfold, which is more than the law says to do. He was going above and beyond. This is a man that has had Jesus be good to him, and he has changed his mind. This is what happens to us, and is probably the best picture of repentance that we can possibly find. And that is that Jesus loves us. He cares about us. He comes into our lives. He calls us by name. And when we see that, we respond. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. That is, Jesus was ministering to the Jews at this point, not to the Gentiles. Later on, he will deal with the Gentiles. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That means Zacchaeus was lost. He didn't come to seek and save that which was already justified, but that which was lost. So if Jesus were to call you today and speak to you about just being good to you, just that you can look and see it, is there anything that you can just change that you need to change your mind about? Not like you horrible, rotten, stinking Christians, repent. But, but instead, where do we need to change our minds that we might find God working with us and bringing that refreshing that comes from the presence of God? I want to close by talking to you about three things God does when we repent. And I find these in the book of Joel. The children of Israel had walked away from God. And God had sent locusts as a way to get their attention. Locusts had devastated the land. And now they're looking at what to do. And so in chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15, 
he tells them three things he will do if they will return to him. The returning is like changing your mind. You change your mind, you'd return to me, you walked away from me, then these three, three things are going to happen. In Joel 2.13, he says, return to the Lord and he will relent from bringing calamity. God had already brought calamity with the, with the locusts and if they were going to continue down that road, what else was going to happen to them? And God says, I'm going to relent and some Bibles translate that repent. But people have a hard time with God changing his mind. So they go, well, I can't say repent. Let's use the word relent. What does relent mean anyway? Right? You changed your mind, right? So God says, when you repent, when you change your mind and you start living a certain way, maybe as a child of God, you're under the discipline of God right now. The Bible says those who God loves, he disciplines. The discipline of God is, is grievous, but it brings about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And if you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to return to you, then God says, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relent from bringing calamity. First thing God does is when we repent is things change for us because we're in a different relationship with God now. The second thing that happens is in the next verse, and it says, and perhaps I will leave a reward behind you, or I'll leave a reward behind for you. I love how that's such a switch. Look, if you, if you return to me, then I'm no longer going to bring calamity, but maybe I'm going to leave a reward. From the poorhouse to the penthouse. You play golf, from a bogey to a birdie. You think, oh man, this is a mess. And all of a sudden God says, I want to bless you. I want, I want to bless you. I want to leave something behind. God says, I reward those who change their minds. We change our minds and there's all kinds of good things that happen. God relents from bringing calamity. He rewards us by blessing us. And finally, he restores. Verse 15, God says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. This is miraculous. This is a miracle. God says, I'm going to intervene in your life. You think, well, it's too late for me. I've, I've ruined my life. My life has been wasted. Stop thinking that way. Our God is a God who is able to, to do miraculous things and in a very short time will do wonders. One of the men I looked up to in my lifetime and had, was very ministered to as a young man was Keith Green. He was not much older than me and he died when he was 28 years old in 1982. And uh, his two children died with him. It was in a plane wreck, but... He had a ministry called Last Days Ministry, and he was a contemporary Christian singer, one of, one of the early guys. God had used him in such a powerful way. He was almost like a prophet in, in my life. When he died at 28, I remember, I remember weeping. I remember crying when he died. But I also remember saying to God, why? Why would you take someone who's 28? But when I look back at all the things that God did through Keith Green, I realized that God like jammed a life full of accomplishments into that little, little time span. Our God can do that. And when you come back now and say, I, Lord, I, I've wasted these years, God says, I'll restore them. God can do what he's got to do to get those things back together again. If you'll change your mind, then God will relent, God will reward, and God will restore. And that's an absolutely wonderful, awesome thing. I'll close with a thought. Just again, my two favorite passages on repentance. Repent, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. And it is the goodness of God that brings about repentance. And all of this is not some religious word. I wish somehow we could get rid of the whole connotation that comes with repent, repent. Hearing people stand on a street corner with a sign, repent. Change your mind, change your mind, change your mind. We've made it into this religious word that doesn't even mean anymore what the original word means. And if we can get back to it, there's great power and benefit. 
when we change our mind. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the time that we're able to spend together here today. And look at your word and really understand this great account of the goodness that you gave this little guy and how it blessed him so much that he repented. And Lord, we want to do the same. We want to change our mind. If there's anything in our lives that's holding us back, if there's anything in our life that is a sin that's severe, then do we want to change our minds. We want to see the blessings that come when we walk close with you. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, your whole life you just can been living for yourself. But now something has happened and Jesus has revealed himself to you and you realize there's another option. You can live for him. And so Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand or change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's here today. And by changing your mind and saying, I'm no longer going to live for myself, but I'm now going to live for him, then you gain eternity. Your sins are forgiven here. God fills you with the spirit. You're the light. You're the salt of the earth. You're given the keys of the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. But also you are given eternal life. And that's more than just living forever on vacation. Okay. The Bible tells us a whole lot more about heaven than just eternal vacation. You say, but I want eternal vacation. Too bad. Eternal life's about a lot more than that. And if you want that today, then all you'll need to do is respond. But I also want to give you an opportunity if you're here and, and years ago or maybe a while ago, you made a decision to follow God, but things got, they weren't what you expected. They got too hard. People, people don't like Christians. It's persecution. You don't like the way people looked at you. So you stopped. Or, or, or maybe you decided to follow him, but the cares and the worries of this world choked out God's word, the desire to be rich. You just got distracted by other things that became more important to you than God. And you realize now there's really no one, nothing that is more important than him. And you would like to return to him today. I want to give you that opportunity to do so as well. If you're watching online and God speaks to your heart, you have a God moment here. Remember, God's here and God's with you. And, and, and those things apply to you. You want to come to him for the first time. You, you, you made a commitment, didn't follow through. You need to. Then I'm going to ask you to respond as well. You could respond on calvarytucson.com by clicking the little button that pops up that says, I want to give my life to Christ. You could write in the comments, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. If you don't want to write it on the comments and make it that public at this point, you can write us an email at saved at calvarytucson.com and, and we'll, we'll respond to you from that. Or listening live on Reach Radio. Remember, it's really not about the church. It's really not about us being able to connect with you afterwards. It's about you coming to the living God at this moment and him intervening in your life. And he can do everything he needs to do from here on out. So if you would like to commit your life to Christ, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are now, just lift your hand up. God bless you guys here in the front. That's awesome. Anyone else? Raise your hand. God bless you, ma'am. Again, lift it high. God bless you, sir. That's awesome. All right. And if you're online, you can respond as well. I might not be able to see you, but I'm not the important one. God sees you. And God will respond. And if you're driving down the road, listening to Reach Radio, just say, yep, yep, I want to give my life to Christ. Or you want to be more respectful, say yes. You can put your hands down, and I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, 
to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I change my mind that I would live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. How exciting. I really am excited for you. You are a unique individual like Zacchaeus. God has called you. He's got plans for you. He's got a giftings. He wants to fill you with the Spirit. He's got a plan, a purpose, a call for your life. We want to see you come out of the starting blocks running well for Jesus. Now, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to reach out my hand and pray for you. And I'm going to pray for all kinds of things. And if you need prayer, then reach your hand back out towards me. If you don't think you need it, but I hit on something while I'm praying and you need it, just reach your hand up. Just kind of receive it. And, and you also are the children of God. A pastor's prayer is no more powerful than a person's Christian's prayer who's not a pastor. We all have boldness to go before the throne. You have authority in Jesus Christ to pray for people and to see God move. So if you know someone that needs prayer, while I'm praying, you raise out your hand and you pray for them as I pray for you and we'll join together and pray for them and see God do some miraculous things. So lift out your hands to me now and let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for those that are here who may be struggling that need a miracle, need the miraculous work of Christ in their lives. I pray for those that need a physical touch, those that maybe are watching online or here that may have COVID that needs to be healed. I pray you would heal it. Lord, for those that have another kind of sickness or injury or, or disease, touch and heal, Lord, now in the name of Jesus. For those who have a broken marriage, some here that represent just a hard time, Lord, I pray you would touch and heal that marriage. For those that need financial miracle, do that work in the name of Christ. For those depressed, lift the darkness. For those oppressed, bind the enemy. For those who are anxious, we come before you with thanksgiving and ask you for help, that your peace would guide our hearts and minds. For those struggling mentally, perhaps with Alzheimer's or, or some other form of deterioration of the mind, that you would touch and heal now or a disorder, nothing is too hard for you. And so we pray that you would touch and draw us near to you, help us to make good decisions, help us to change our mind in right ways and discover all you have for us. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you find yourself closer to Jesus this week than you've ever been before. May you find some time to get alone with him daily. I'm not talking about, you know, five hours or two hours, but just find some time to sit down quietly before him and open up your heart and let him speak to you. Bible says, call out to me and I'll answer you. Bible says, don't rush into the presence of God, but be still and know that I'm God. Find some time to read through his word, not just here with me, it's great, but choose a book to read. Choose, a, you know, choose Obadiah. I think it's the shortest book in the Bible. No, Jude is, but Obadiah is the shortest prophet. Just choose, sit down and just read a little bit. Let God's word soak in. Make sure that you're not loving him from a distance. 
that you might truly be filled and empowered and sent out to this lost, dying, desperate world that needs Him. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.